0: Hello, everyone. You have probably come here today for some highfalutin philosophical mumbo jumbo that you don't really follow, but it makes you feel real superior. Well, not today. Um, We are going practical today. No deep dive, no esoteric conceptual abstract ideas, just a practical conversation and a chit chat. Uh, so first, you're going to hear an interview I did with Hayden Scott. Uh, he and I connected in the Adventist New Media world, but it turns out we actually went to Southwestern at the same time and we didn't know each other. (laughs) Um, I know, it's easy for this to happen in a sea of people, that is the sub-1000 student enrollment. (laughs) But I worked in the records office, so I knew everyone's name, at least even if I didn't know them personally. So yes, all of you Southwestern people, I saw your grades, I saw your SAT scores, and I saw your academic reprimands. so just saying. um. Anyway, Hayden has a very interesting personal story about his experience in the church, and then we continue my sort of ongoing wider conversation about millennials in Adventism. Um, and then I want to talk about money, 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 money. I want to talk about the fact that we millennials are very passionate, but we're kind of broke. Um, So first, before we get to all that, I just want to say, hey, thank you for listening. I'm really grateful for all of you guys, even if I don't necessarily hear from all of you. Um, But if there ever is anything that you want to talk about, that you want to challenge me on, ask me about topics that you want me to cover, feel free to reach out. You can always email me, AdventistMillennial at gmail.com, or hit me up on social media, Instagram or Facebook. Um, also, subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes if you feel so inclined. Um, I'm not trying to change the world or get millions of subscribers, but the more people who hear about it, the more people can cross it off their list of things they never want to listen to again. (laughs) And we don't want to take that opportunity away from them, do we? No. So, let's dive in. So today I'm talking with Hayden, as you'll hear. Um, he's in the same boat as a lot of us American millennials uh, in the church. And hopefully you will enjoy his perspective. So with no further ado. So I guess first, just first off, uh, tell, can you tell us your name? Kind of just a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, my name is Hayden Scott. I live in tulsa oklahoma and i'm working on my master's in therapy right now
0: nice um how long does that take
1: two years but i'm also working full-time so it'll take about four years
0: yeah yeah um nice all right so uh did you grow up Adventist? and if you did what was that experience like for you
1: Uh, that's a pretty loaded question um (laughs) Well, I'm actually seventh generation.
0: Wow. Adventist. So like yeah. all the way back.
1: <laughs> all all the way back. My family um, converted or started, I guess, when the missionaries, when the first missionaries came to Honduras. And so as far back as, as um, anyone in my family can remember, all of us have pretty much been devout Adventists.
0: Wow. And so um, did that ever... I mean, growing up, did you ever, like, did you claim it as your own or did you ever have struggles with, like, your Adventism, I guess, your identity as an Adventist, you could say?
1: Yeah, I think there were, I think there were a lot of struggles because for a lot of my education, I did public school and my church was very small and wasn't very um, interested in the youth since there was only three of us. yeah Um,
0: that's pretty small
1: yeah and so when I in high school I ended up going to academy and I started to to really see you know how there's like young people that are really interested some people were there because their parents forced them to go to try to make them be Adventist yeah and as I got older and, and went off to college and then I see even even more more people's backgrounds of how they claim their own faith. I would start to to wonder because all these people had these great, you know, um, uh, what do we call them? Come to Jesus story, conversion mm-hmm, stories, mm-hmm. whatever they're called. And so I realized I didn't have one like that. And so I felt like, am I really, am I really Adventist? And I think that was the start because then I would start to wonder, you know, well, I don't, I don't really believe the same way that so-and-so does you know like i drink coffee believe it or not and (laughs) things like things like eating yeah and things like eating meat and it was things like that that even though they're not doctrinal they're 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 cultural in the church and realizing that there was a culture in the church i think was a big shift for me because i would think oh we're all of the same belief so we can all um kind of just agree that we're all different Mm. But there was sort of this undertone that that wasn't really the case, especially when we would go to church. And I really tried to keep an open mind growing up. But when someone would come into church and it was funny when it was especially women, when they would come in and maybe their dress would be a little too tight, I would see the older women leaning over and whispering to each other while the pastor could be preaching about acceptance. Yeah. And I thought there's these, these parallels, these things that we don't, that we don't recognize or don't want to recognize. And I would think, am I supposed to just ignore this? Or am I supposed to, to just play along? And I think there was a struggle when I decided, when I realized that I can't play along with this, I need to make my own faith mm-hmm. or find my own faith. And I think there was a big struggle for that until I really started just, you know, earnestly questioning and, you know, showing God that I could be angry with him and like that's what he would want. He he wants us to to talk to him to question him. He's like bring me bring me these questions. This is what I want you to do. I want to have a personal relationship with you. When I started to do that, I feel like it wasn't always an easy road, but things started started the things started falling into place much easier.
0: So, um when when would you say that happened and was there ever a time that either you left the church or you thought about leaving and um was that around that period when you were having that struggle?
1: Yeah. So probably my f- after my first year at Southwestern, I felt like this wasn't really for me. Like I need to go out on my own and just kind of wander, I guess, quote unquote, for a little bit. So I dropped out, moved in with a friend, and we picked up some warehouse job. And I didn't go to church ever. I didn't pick up my Bible ever. And I figured I'm just going to go head deep into the world and see what it's like. And as I did that, I, for a while, it felt really good because I felt there's no church double standards I have to deal with. There's no, um, you know, having to see subtle racism in the church, subtle sexism in the church, having to, I guess what I thought was dealing with imperfect people. I was like, I don't have to do that anymore. But then I, as the next school year started, I kind of felt this lack of community and I felt this kind of emptiness in myself. And then I started reading the Bible again. And next semester I decided to go back because I didn't want to die in a warehouse accident. So I went back and I decided, okay, I went head first one way. I'm going to go head first the other way and see what that's like. And so I I worked at SLAD. I led the I led the weekly Bible study or daily Bible study that they do there. I became a student chaplain and I just kept going and what I what I realized is that I felt like I hit a wall when I was when I tried to not deal with religion whatsoever. I hit a wall and it was essentially this is where it ends and this is all there is. But when I started diving Headfirst back into the church and trying to find it in my own way. I felt that I, that I could do so. And that there was no end. I would always have a question and I would go and I was lucky enough to be around these people who were professors and had these degrees in this. And so I would go and I'd have these complex questions and I figured I'm just going to get the same answer I did when I was younger. And it would just be, you know, just, just pray about it. God doesn't really want us to worry about that. But they would give me these, these long, well-thought-out answers, and I would see like these ways that the Bible would connect and, and all these intricacies, and I felt that the more that I questioned earnestly, the more that, that my faith could grow organically, and that I could develop this relationship in my own unique way. And I think that's what really helped me come back to it, in a sense, is that I realized I don't have to have my parents' religion or my grandparents' religion. I think that was really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you said something that that piqued my interest because I I've heard a lot from people our age that the reason why it's hard for them, or one of the reasons that it's hard to stay in the church, is because there is a lack of community. But um, you mentioned you kind of felt that the other way around. Do you do you ever have you ever felt that lack of community within Adventism, or
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's I think it's insanely prevalent in um, especially in smaller churches where um, they don't really know how to connect with younger people or they don't really want to. And even in college towns, when when the school year is out and it's mostly the the old people there if it wasn't a college town, I feel as though these churches would be just like every other small town church. And I feel like the community really comes from the people our age coming together of our own accord in a sense, because it's us that are that are in the youth groups. It's us that are in the Bible study groups for our own age. It's us that are at the Friday night Vespers. And I'm not really sure why there's this lack of community because I feel like that's what at one point we were really all about because all these people that are there and they're really old, they were all our age at once and they were all at the church together at the same time. And I feel as though they've kind of stagnated in their ways. And um, because they'll say, why aren't there, oh, why aren't there young people here? But then they'll be upset when anything older than a, than a song from the 1800s is played in church. Or there was the satanic panic in the early 2000s when if there was a drum set in the church, you needed basically an exorcism. Mm-hmm. And I think this lack of community is really part of it. I mean, I see, I see a lot of people now like, like Alan Martin at um, Growing Young Adventists and that um, whole movement is really trying But one of my one of the things I'm noticing is I think that we're going after the wrong demographic now, Mm. because now we're very obsessed with getting millennials and and professional age people into the church. But my thing is millennials are pretty much should not necessarily be the target demographic. I mean, they're very important, but a lot of the times I think churches go for them because they're old enough to pay tithe now.
0: There's more where that came from, and if you want to hear the rest of that fascinating interview, I will be posting it as a video on Facebook and YouTube on Wednesday. Um, And thank you to Hayden for coming on, and keep an eye out for more cool stuff coming out of the Adventist Millennial grassroots wing of digital media. Okay, now we are going to talk about money, or, more accurately, our lack of it. Um, All of you just felt the crushing weight of your student loan debt, didn't you? Yes. Well, look. Um, I'm not sitting up here on some kind of gravy train like Scrooge McDuck diving into my mountain of gold or anything. No, no, no. Um, I'm not pontificating to you all as if I know everything, but I did want to take some time on this topic to give some encouragement and maybe give you some inspiration to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So, if you didn't know, my day job is in the nonprofit sector, and obviously, a huge part of nonprofit work is fundraising. Well, right now a big part of what nonprofits are dealing with is the transition from the print generations to the digital generations and how to fundraise from both right now and likely exclusively digitally in the future. Um historically the greatest generation boomers and gen xers have all been super into print and mail, but that doesn't really work with millennials as you might guess. Um Then there's the problem that it's usually the older generations that give because they have more disposable income. So, as all the greatest generation are starting to die off and and the boomers who are our parents are, no offense, getting up there, um, fundraisers are scrambling to get out ahead of the digital revolution so that they can continue being effective when millennials are become the key fundraising demographic. Um, I was reading an article in one of our Adventist publications I can't remember which one. (laughs) Sorry, no shout out for the print media, (laughs) but they were saying that millennials are currently 26% of the population and 84% of them uh, give regularly to charity, which is a higher percentage than boomers, supposedly. Now, I don't know about you, but just anecdotally, this seems implausible to me. If 84% of us Give regularly, then 99% of us must be hyperbolic about our financial situation. Because I hear a lot of lament from people my age about being up to their necks in debt and having dwindling career prospects even with college or postgrad education. I mean, if I had a nickel for every Facebook meme I saw about not having any money, you better believe I would be Scrooge McDucking it up, diving into my mountain of nickels. But look, the reason I want to talk about this is because I think that we millennials are passionate about things that we care about and we're willing to give to support things that are important. (coughs) Podcasters. (coughs) But so far, uh, we just don't have enough notches to loosen the belt that much. Like, I think we'd be willing to give to support good content creators, outreach, humanitarian projects, but man, we just trying to pay the bills and get by, you know? Uh, So I just wanted to share a couple of things that I've discovered that have helped me to get to a place where I can start giving to those things that I care about without hurting for it. If you're subbed to the FIRE or Personal Finance subreddits, or if you've done the old Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University thing, uh, you may know what I'm about to say. And maybe you're already here with me and you can also be an inspiration to other millennials. or. Maybe you're still on the journey, and you need to hear from someone a little farther down the path to bolster your resolve. Um, anyway, here's what I've done. So like many wayward millennials, I graduated with student loan debt, ugh. Um, granted, I didn't have a crippling amount because I did as much as I could to avoid that. Like, I lived at home, I went to the Cheap Adventist College, shout out Southwestern U budget school. (laughs) I worked a lot. Um, I think my last semester I was taking 18 hours of classes and working three part-time jobs. This won me several delightful lectures from my disapproving professor for falling asleep in her highly engaging advanced grammar class at 8 a.m. after I'd just been working 7P-7A in the ER. (laughs) But still, when I got out of school, I found myself in the same place as a lot of my peers not able to get a job that was relevant to my degree, and ending up in one that didn't befit my high intellectual prowess and my qualifications. Um, so to the little Debbie factory I went, grudgingly. Now, luckily for me, I had hustled my last semester and done an unpaid internship that eventually flowered into my first job after I'd been on the Star Crunch line for about six months. Uh, But six months of fearing for my future was enough for me to say, to heck with this debt and shoestring budget crap, Um, and I made paying off my student loan debt an absolute and number one priority. Now, if you want to get super into it, which I highly recommend, by the way, you can break down savings rates and ultra-frugal living and projecting and planning and budgeting and all of that. I won't describe it all in detail, but basically all the financial wisdom says, that you need to get out of debt like it's an elevator that someone just farted in. Like, it doesn't matter if you were going to the third floor, get out and walk to the fourth floor if you have to. Um, so in one year, I paid off all of my student loan debt. This involved, of course, selling my car, cycling to work, living with my parents, etc., etc. but I was free! And it felt really good. Um, and if it seems insurmountable to you, if you still have a lot of debt, It's not. Um, I admit I didn't go to medical school or some super expensive school so that it took me five years or more to pay it all off, Uh, but seriously, go read some of the inspiring stories on our personal finance. People do that crap, man. You just have to really want it. I remember reading this story on Reddit about a couple who had, I think it was like more than a hundred grand in student loan debt, and they taped sheets of paper with milestones um, on the inside of a closet door, and every time they reached one of those, they took the paper down, um, and that kept them going. And like, reading stories like that kept me going too when I was still hustling to pay down my debt. A lot of my peers are more educated than me and have these nice shiny post-grad degrees that are very expensive but apparently give them higher earning potential. Um, but even people who work like at the Little Debbie have stories about how they decreased their spending below their earning and got out from under the crushing stress of debt. But look, you guys, if you want to be able to give To the things that you care about, you need to do a few more things too besides just killing your debt with a baseball bat in a really graphic way. You also need to maintain your low expenses even after you've paid off your debts so that you could have that extra wiggle room to give regularly, like seriously give. If that statistic that I read is anywhere near accurate, I'm sure they're counting regular giving as including, like, $10 10 to $20 here or there when asked, um, but how many millennials do you think really have the space for 10% of their income in tithe and 10 more percent for charity? Are you in that boat? If you aren't, you can get there. Uh, you know that old verse? I think it's an Acts that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's really true, uh, and we millennials get a lot of hate from everyone that's not us and even ourselves sometimes, um, but seriously, you guys, if we can take our enthusiasm and translate it into an ability to tangibly support the things we care about, we can show everyone up who trash talks us for our laziness and our entitled attitudes. So, from me to you, as a millennial who has been blessed to get out of debt and to make some space in my budget to give to things that I really care about, I want to tell you that it's worth the sacrifice to get there. If you want to know where to start, I suggest the subreddits that I mentioned earlier, like FIRE, which stands for Financial Independence and Retiring Early. Um, it's also worth checking out our personal finance and maybe our frugal. Um I'd also recommend Mr. Money Mustache's blog, The Frugal Woods blog. I also spent a lot of time on the Early Retirement Extreme website. Um there's a good book called The Coffee House Investor that I read that really got me started investing. There's all kinds of fun stuff out there that you can read, but also You could just do it with some careful planning, and I still use the You Need a Budget app, and it can give you all kinds of fun graphs and show you your progress and your net worth and all that stuff. Um, I'll put some of these links in the episode description if you guys want them, but really, I just wanted to say we're starting to come into our own as a fully adulting generation, and we don't have to feel tied up all the time and held back from doing the things that really get us excited just because we're more broke than the guy panhandling on the corner. Um, I'm really excited about where I see Adventist new media going, and I want to see us take off and really do some crazy, unbelievable, inspiring things, and it can really easily start with our own checkbooks. I mean, our own Apple wallets. Um, we just have to do it. Okay, so let me know what you guys think. Where are you on the journey to becoming the donor demographic? Um, and being able to give to fledgling podcasters? Um, what are you struggling with? Do you have a plan in place? Are you excited to be knocking over the dominoes one by one? I'd love to hear your stories. If you have questions about the nitty-gritty stuff like calculating savings rates and where to invest and all of that, hit me up. I'll try to help if I can. Um, okay, so share this with that one friend that always asks you to spot their burrito because they forgot their wallet again. Um, and I'll see you guys next week.